When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Somebody said the football is a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. I used to work in the pit as a boy of 14. Brought up in a faith which was football. I wanted to be a manager. I was hell-bent in that. Steen, Shankly and Busby went straight in to harness the power of the community. They had a poor team. I came here because of the people. I like to be a manager of Celtic. I like the people who support us. He made you believe you were something special. When a manager does this, they bound them together. I've never seen anything like this before. That's my sole aim. To give them something worth seeing. To get them success. You play a football match without fans, you've got nothing. Now put everything into it, I could. All my heart and soul. The public don't ever realise what a manager suffers. To rebuild, that was such an extraordinary thing in every way. Can Celtic become the first non-Latin team to win the European Cup? It's a joke, you're immortal now. Everybody was desperate for United to win. The team had died trying to win it. That's where the heart of Liverpool football beats. Bill Shankly brought life back to Merseyside. This is the man they love. What does this club of yours mean to you? It means everything. Mark Busby, one of the most remarkable men that's ever been in the game. I've drummed it into our players that they are privileged to play for you. And if they didn't believe me, they believe me now. Yes, here we go. We've got the one and only Johnny Owen. What a guy. He's the director of the new feature-length film, The Three Kings. Johnny, I need to tell you, man, you were part of my childhood. I used to stay up late to watch Shameless. Absolutely loved it. And you were tremendous in it. But they good days. Yeah, I was brilliant, mate. I, I tell you what, a lot of the cast and the way they were weren't very part, far, far away from the characters they played. Do you know what I mean? Really? So, yeah, hi. <laughs> it was a lot mate, of fun. Yeah, version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a beer and that. You know what I mean? As soon as they finished, it was like straight out. Everybody, it was a great time. Great time to be in Manchester as well. Frank Gallagher was a legend, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite funny when you when I first went there when I got the part. There was um, there was this wig on like a head, on a polystyrene head as I walked in and I was like, 
there's the wig. And then he comes in, and he's very well-spoken. Hello, how are you? And then, Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he goes into the bar, he's like, all right, mate, how's it going? Nice one, yeah, buzzing. And he's all that mank talk, do you know what I mean? But, yeah, great actor. Mate, the reason I liked him so much was it was uh, he was the double of my dad, eh? My dad's the exact same as Frank Gallagher, man. <laughs> was he high? <laughs> uh, and you were you were gay now, weren't you? Was, yeah, yeah. I was gay, and I was gay, and I was with uh, Mickey, who's a really popular character. And whenever I go to Manchester or Liverpool, he would always go, he'd say, are you the Welsh busy, the gay one? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I like you, pal. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Kiss a kiss. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was only acting. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> mate, another thing I need to thank you for as well is your missus, Vicky McClure. Uh, Lol, this is England, mate. I've had this haircut ever since I've seen Lol and this is England. I used to play for Swindon, right? And when this was England was out, I took a picture of her into the barber and said, give me that. Remember the quiff? Yes, I do. Mate, she was iconic in that, eh? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. She won a BAFTA for that as well. And like that kind of set it off then really on her career. Do you know what I mean? So she's done yeah. brilliant. So dead proud of her. Like, you know what I mean? She's a copper now though. She's a policeman in um in line of duty. So she's over in Belfast filming. How did you meet? How did what? How did you meet? So I met her on a set of a film. We did a film together called Sven Garley. And yeah. um, she was in it and I was in it. And uh, yeah, we just... Uh, she just wouldn't stop pestering me, my either of me, to go out with her. Do you know what I mean? You know what it's like. So in the end, I went, I go on then. So we ended up together. Amazing. Uh, and her co-star, Martin Comston, as well. Have you managed to get a beer with him? Because he, he loves a beer, he loves a drink, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good lad. I went to his wedding, which he booked right in the middle of the Euros because Scotland didn't qualify and Wales did. So I had to okay. fly back for his wedding and fly back out again. But he's a top lad, Martin. He's a good lad. He was telling me that when you went to the Euros, Vicky couldn't get in touch with you. Thought she thought you went missing. Was it a good time? <laughs> I was out there for five weeks in the end. Um, no, yeah, she was five great. weeks? Aye. So I went over there and I said to her, oh, look, Wales won't get out of the groups. So we'll be all right. I'll be back in a week. And obviously we get to the semi-final. So I'm out there for weeks. It was brilliant. But um, yeah, she was good as gold. She was, I used to ring her up and go, I need to get down to, uh, to Leon. Can you book me an hotel? And she'd go, all right, I'll get you in somewhere. And then she texted me the name of the hotel as I was driving down on the train. She was good as gold. Did you ever get? Uh, did you ever get to go to any of the players or the manager or that? Aye, seen them all. I did a film about it. See, for Wales called "Don't Take Me Home." So right. I, I seen a lot of them, and I got I stayed in the hotel with them once or twice. But I did it mostly with my mates. I wanted to do it with the boys. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. the first time we qualified for years, so I wanted to go with the lads and have a laugh. Because uh, Joel Edley, we interviewed Joel Edley and he said that the Wales camp was like a stag do. Did you get to see much of that? I did, yeah. It was amazing. They were like on holiday. They were loving it. And that's why I think they played so well because they didn't want to go home because they were loving yeah. it so much. They'd play the match and they'd go. And Joe's a good lad anyway. He's a good laugh, Joe. And uh, they all had a massive um, table tennis competition, didn't they? And it got really serious. So they were all right. like, every day I'd be like going, oh, we get on it. I'll play in the gaffer today and all that. But they were all best mates. Do you know what I mean? They were all like best pals. So it's the best way, I think, for a team when you get on like that. Chris Coleman's meant to be a top man as well, isn't he? Brilliant guy. One of the lads. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Likes a pint. Great crack. And what they did was, as well, they encouraged the fans to go to the hotel so you could go there and the team would all be there. And I saw everybody was talking to him and all that. It was brilliant. Amazing times, mate. Amazing times. Right, the three kings. How did you get into this? Was it your idea? It was, yeah. Yeah, there was a great series about 25 years ago now by a Scottish journalist called um, Hugh McIlvenny called The Football Men. What a voice he's got. Ah, amazing. So he um, he did this series called The Football Men, which is about them. 
But then my father was always saying about like miners because my old man had worked underground, and then he was always pointing out Shankly, Steen, and Busby. And then when they when my my old man died in 2017, and I thought I'd like to do something about those kind of blokes and the effect they had on football and how important they were to, to British and world football and how important Scotland was. So I took it to this company who did like Senna and Amy, and they really liked the idea as well. And that's how we ended up making it. And the fact that you're a massive football fan, is it Nottingham Forest is your team? No, I, I grew up watching Cardiff City and Merthyr. And what happened oh, was, when, when I went with Vicky, so I moved to Nottingham, right? Right. And then I ended up making a film in Nottingham about uh, the great Nottingham Forest team in the late 70s who won the European Cup and all that. And then um, the new owners came in and they liked it. And they said to me, do you want to come work for us? And I was a bit like, all right. So I ended up working at Forest. So that's where I am now, really, doing some work for them as well as the films. So it's brilliant, really. Um, and then that film did really well. And then I did the Wales one. And then that's why I ended up uh, doing this film as well. But I've always been a big fan of Scottish football, see? People oh, okay. where, where, does that, where does that come from? So what happened was, when I was about 17, 18, where I come from, Merthyr, we, we, had a, we had a magazine, like a fanzine called Dilem for Merthyr. And then that, they got really pally with uh, Queen's Park, who had a fanzine called The Spider's Web. So we did like an exchange visit. So we went to stay in Glasgow and they come down to stay in Merthyr. And the lad I stayed with, Dizzy, Kevin, was a big Celtic fan as well. He lived in Jockstein's old house. No way. Yeah, in King's Park. So I, he used to take me to games. So I used to go and watch Queen's Park and I went to watch Celtic and he took me to see Partick Thistle. So I went to see loads of games up there. And I've been doing the same ever since. So once or twice a year, I always come to Scotland and watch football. I like, I love football up in Scotland because everybody has a pint and yeah. it's always a good atmosphere. I think it's becoming quite trendy now. For, I hear people going up to Scotland quite a bit to watch matches. I think it's going to become the next Germany. Do you know what I mean? Fans yeah, yeah. up for a weekend and, and watching games. But it's still a brilliant day out watching Scottish football. I love it. Can you remember your favourite game that you've came up and seen? I seen an old firm game, but Celtic didn't win that one. That was the days when, when Rangers were pretty good. Um, How did you find the atmosphere in that? Best atmosphere I've ever been in. in a football Brilliant, game. Amazing. I mean, I say to everybody, you should try one before you go. And I know it's got its dark side and all that, but that's what makes it sexy. The atmosphere was incredible. Um, so I was a bit like, I was smitten after that. I've been, I tell you what I went. I went down to Annan. With Queen. Oh, what a show! Brilliant! What a day out! No, it's not. Buck fast on the train, right? See, yes. Duro went to the game, few pints, same on the way back. Got back to Glasgow by about ten o'clock. What a day out, Annan. So yeah, Can you remember Annan the plan? Queens Park. Oh, Queens Park, right? I went down from Glasgow with them all. I was in Annan's uh, league last year. I'm still playing. I play for Peterhead. Do you? And I play for Peter Henry, so Annan's like the dreaded away trip, man, but you loved it. Because <laughs> it's so far south, isn't it? So far south, mate. So far south. Hate it. <laughs> I was going to say to you, I watched your Nottingham Forest documentary. It's on Sky oh, documentary just now. I believe in miracles. That's it, yeah, yeah. Mate, amazing. Even that, to that Forest team, such a strong Scottish contingent as well, didn't it? Massive. All the, all the big... Um... English teams at that time were brilliant. Had a Scottish spine, you know. Liverpool had Dalglish and Souness and Hansen, and Forest had McGovern, Burns, Robertson was their best player. Great team. So they all had like you know four or five. They same man and I did Macari, Buchan, you know McQueen. So that's why I was I wanted to make this film because I was a bit like when I was a kid growing up, like all the best managers were Scottish, 
and loads of the teams had Scottish players and people have forgotten it a little bit because of the money that's gone into the Premier League game and get loads of players from Europe and all over the world. But, you know, even now, like you get an Andy Robertson or something like that, I still like the fact you get Forrest to just find, uh, sign Scott McKenna. And um, he's the best signing of the last window. It's been brilliant for us. You, you must be absolutely hopeless then if he's your best signing. <laughs> My mate said this in Scotland. He was really good. He's scored. Nah, he's good. He's he scored is good. Right? <laughs> See, uh, you're making that, that documentary, Johnny. What's your favourite Brian Clough story? Right. Let's think. There's loads. He, um, he was playing in Cologne, right? And they were 1-0 down. It was 3-3, sorry, from the first game. And all the boys are lining up. Robbo tells us. And they're all quiet, standing there in Munich. In Cologne, sorry. And the Cologne team come out. They're all massive Germans, right? And they're all singing. He says that they greased themselves up. They all got blonde hair. So it's really some old sort of like German war song. And you can go, oh, and so we're all standing there. We're all shapes and sizes. And as they come out, he said, they look really proud. Cluffy turns to them all and he goes, look at them boys. They're fucking shitting themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, we all burst out laughing because it was obvious they weren't. But he said they looked at us laughing as if to say, what's going on here? And he said it was the best thing anybody could have said. And Forrest won the game 1-0. Wow. Unbelievable. Was, was, Clough, was Clough a minor? Was his family minors as well? No, he was from, um, he was from, he was from Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough, yeah. Yeah, his family were more like kind of, um, they got that big works there, the ICI works, isn't it? That big chemical factory. I think they were like in that kind of work more than anything. I know that um, Bobby, Bobby Robson was a minor. Um, yeah. He was underground for a little bit. And obviously, sort of, and there was a few others as well. Oh, yeah, uh, Herbert Chapman, who, uh, who, who was like the guy behind Arsenal, people say. He was he was from mining background as well, up in Huddersfield Way. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a few, actually. But Steen, yeah. Shandy, Busby were the three, because they worked underground as well. Do you know what I mean? My favourite bit about that documentary was Brian Clough used to call John Robertson, was it the fat little winger he used to call? Uh, give it to the fat lad, because he can play and you can't. That's what he used to say to send it off. You... <laughs> You head the ball, you kick the ball, and if you get time with the ball on your feet, give it to John Robertson. That's brilliant. Yeah. And there's a great story about him half time. They go, uh, they come in and they're about one nil down somewhere. It's quite rare. And he gets them all in and, he, and they're all in the big thing. And Robbo goes off for a cigarette in the cube, toilet cubicle. And he goes, Second half, it's really important that we play together as a team. I never believe a team is about one man. It's a team. We're socialists. We look after each other. We're all about being together. And somebody goes, hang on, boss. Robbo's in there having a fight. He's a genius. He can do what he wants. For the rest of us, what we've got to do. That's amazing. I know. He's a genius. He can do it. And Robbo, what a player. So Forest fans... They always vote him their favourite player of all time and all that. He always wins the polls by miles. He still lives here. He's still got a really strong Glaswegian accent. He's still in the town and he's treated like a prince, like a god. Yeah. And if you say to him, are you the best player from where you come from? He always goes, no, no, I'm the second best player from View Park. And I always Jimmy go, Johnson. Jimmy Johnson. He always says, I'm the second best player to come from View Park. It's brilliant, isn't it? He still says that. Johnny... John Robertson was, uh, I was a young kid at Celtic coming through. John Robertson was the assistant manager of the first team at the time. That's right, with Martin O'Neill. And he still used to join in training. And I'm talking with guys like Larson, Sutton, and he was unbelievable. And he, was, he, was smoke, he would smoke on the side of the pitch. Yeah. He would join in. He would be, what a player he was, eh? I know. I, I, as a boy back home in Wales, Kevin Rogers, who played for Merthyr, but he played for Birmingham and Villa. And he said he played for Birmingham against Robbo. 
the forest and he says he's the best player I've ever played against. He said every ball was pinpoint in every ball. He said I just couldn't get my head around it. Every time it got to him, it just went right to somebody's head. He said he was the best player he ever played against. He was brilliant. What a player. But Martin O'Neill, he had like a love-hate relationship with Clough, with Clough, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Clough, Clough used to say a great thing. He says, Robbo doesn't know how good he is, right? Martin thinks he's better than what he is. So I've got to bring him down a peg or two, and I've got to bring him up, bring him up a, a peg. So it's just like, you know, I, but they were great together. It's interesting with Martin. Martin, such a brilliant manager. But since Robbo and him, because Robbo's health failed a little bit. Martin's mm. never quite been as good as he was when they were together because I think together as management it was sensational. But it was similar with Clough and Taylor, wasn't it? Clough wasn't yeah. as good as Taylor, which is strange. Well, strange connection, isn't it? Aye, it's kind of like they need each other, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's really important because Robbo just, he knows a player. I watched some Forest matches with him. It's hilarious. He said to me once, he was watching something and he was like watching a game and he went, the right back's getting killed. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, watch no. So the right back was, and I was like, oh yeah. And with about 20 minutes later, they moved the game. You, they put the right off, moved back. And it was like 20 minutes after Robbo had said it. Yeah, 20 wow. minutes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did he know this that? He went, I could just see the lads getting killed. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So you watch a match with him. I think he thinks about the game in a way that it's like, it's, it's unique to that brain. Like, do you know what I mean? So you and him probably now, Johnny, do you hang a bit again? Say again. Are you and Robbo Pally now? Are you I see him every Thursday for a pint. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's, um, he was going to come up with the film. I can't believe they shut the cinemas. So he goes to the local pub, right? And he's a god. I always call him the prince of the city. Everybody's like, Robbo. And he's the only bloke I know, right? He sings when he has a few drinks. He can't stop singing, right? He starts singing in a bar in the afternoon. And everybody sings along and the barmaids are clapping. Oh, it's Robbo. You can just do what he wants. <laughs> Amazing, man. I know, yeah. He's just Mate, can you try and get him to do an interview for us? I would love to interview him. Hi, I will. You come on. If I say to him, I'll come on, I'll, I'll sit with him. He'd love it. Yeah. I'll just sit beside and set him up. Oh, he's brilliant. Oh, perfect, mate. Yeah. Is it, does he sit, see you on a Thursday when you meet him for a pint? Is it always football chat? Aye. I just let him talk, let him tell me stuff because he knows so much about the game and that. You know what I mean? He tells me stories and all the rest of it. I just sit there and just go, go on, Robbo, carry on. Do you know what I mean? But he's got to read. Oh, sorry, and you go. Go on. He's got a really. No, and you go. Sorry. He's just got a really keen mind. But he loves his music. See, loves his music. Loves his films. Does good impressions. He's got loads of jokes. He tells. He's always got a new joke for you. And then, so he's just great company. He's a legend. Amazing. One last guy I wanted to ask you about because he was my youth team manager at Scotland as well, Archie Gemmel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he, he went from being player falling out with Clough to then being his coach, didn't he? Yeah, they fell out over the European Cup final because Clough didn't pick him. Uh, they didn't speak for about two or three years, but in the end, Clough got him back as an um, as assistant coach and they're still there. He's funny. He's a proper little nippy Scotsman, you know. But the thing is with him, because he's quite serious, you know, surly, but he loves my missus because he loves line of duty. So whenever right. he, I turn up with her, he's straight on to her. What's up? Brilliant. So Rob was always like, he's off. Your, he's after your missus again. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> my manager played for um, Forrest, uh, Peter Head, Jim McAnally. Do you remember him now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, yeah. So he was a player when Archie Gemma was a coach. That's and he right. said, Clough, Clough would always come late. He said, so Archie would be up at the training ground. He'd be setting her as a cones up. Like 30 minutes to set up a proper session, the boys would start it, Clough would walk up with his dog and he would say, fucking forget that, Archie, pick all those fucking cones up, we're going for a walk. 
And the, the boys would just have to leave Archie's training session and go for a walk with Brian Clough. Yeah, he was he was unbelievable for it. Archie, don't leave those cones. And he'd take them down the Trent Embankment for a coffee. So the players <laughs> loved him. And he used to work, do you know what I mean? Because they'd go score, you know, you know he's like, he's a bit of a madman. But he was a massive believer, Rob, who said, in rest, not overtraining. So he said we were always really like busting the play when on a Saturday yes. because he just didn't overtrain us. Uh, he was a genius, really, Clough was. He was a clever man, like, do you know what I mean? See, therefore, as in Clough, Shankly, Buzz, Bestine, Jank, they'd have been able to adapt to modern football today. I think so. I think it's like footballers. Do you know what I mean? People go like, what would Robbo be like in the modern game? Well, you go, well, for as much as you think Robbo was, you know, playing at a different time, he now would be better protected. The pitches would be better. So I just think that they'd be all right. You know what I mean? They'd adapt. I mean, especially Clough and Shankly, they'd be brilliant with cameras because they like performing anyway. So yeah. they'd been fine with, fine with modern media. And Steen, Steen was Steen was great because Steen was just like quite grumpy and wouldn't have, you know would have like avoided as much as he possibly could. And Busby was like you know Busby started it all really with the babes you know the idea of speaking to the press as much as you can. I think they'd have been geniuses whatever either they were from or in. Jake, um, Jake said Alex Ferguson was like the last of that breed. Are they sort of people that were managers yet? I do yeah because when I grew up like it was a cliche but it was a cliche because it was true that the Scots produced the best managers. And, um, and Ferguson was definitely the last one in that great line of who came from industrial Scotland, you know, who worked when they were young, knew the game inside out and, you know, had massive respect. You know, here's Alex Neil, who does who's done a good job at Preston, yeah. but there's nobody of the stature of Ferguson, who's the most famous manager in, in football, like that anymore. Hopefully in time, you know, you'll get a few more. Jangle also. No, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, I hope you... The big thing with Scotland is, I love the Scots for this, right? Wales are crap for years, right? And then we finally qualify, and now we're like, yeah. But my mates in Scotland are like, ah, oh, we're, we're shy to international football. I'm like, no, no, you'll be fine. And then when you won the other week, I was like, get in. I really, really need to qualify for a tournament. If Scotland yeah. qualified for a tournament, it'd be massive because the support is fantastic. So it'd be a great boost for the tournament, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. It just needs to get over the line and get back to a major tournament. If that happens, I'm hoping that Scotland could sort of like, you know, recover in some way. Because it's been a shame the last sort of decade or two where everybody's felt as if the team, the national team are not, you know, up to scratch. Because when I was a kid in the late 70s, Scotland had one of the best teams in Europe at that time. You know, they were always qualifying for tournaments and, and you know, always beating Wales to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you just thought of the film. Uh, what did you learn about the three men that you never knew before? I'll tell you what I learned. I cannot believe that Matt Busby picked, uh, sorry, yeah, Matt Busby picked Bill Shankly for the Liverpool job. That blows my mind, eh? Yeah, that was one of the things I couldn't believe as well. That was why I really thought I got an interesting film here. Especially when you think he, sh he knew he'd be a great rival to him. I thought, what a man <laughs> to do that, innit? You know what I mean? To think, because he's my mate, I want him doing that. Do you know what I mean? I love, I love that... Uh, that he did that. I love the fact that they were, I found out, they were such good mates. So, Shankly was always going over to Manchester and back and forth. I, and Shank, uh, Steen could get from Glasgow to Anfield in three hours flat and they'd have a place for him so he could come down to see a match and all the rest of it. And I never realised Celtic won every trophy available to him in 1967. The only, one of the only clubs ever to do that. So they won every, wow. even the Glasgow Cup. And the most difficult trophy in the world to win domestically is the European Cup Champions League still is right and they won that as well so it's a bit like I never knew that Celtic and what he did that season was so unbelievable that he won every single tournament or league available to him I don't think that'll ever happen again unbelievable really when you think about it isn't it 
And the fact that Busby went to the final, didn't he? Uh, sorry, I keep getting them mixed up. Shankly went to the final. Of course he did. You know what I mean? He was like, I was there. And to give us the great line, you know, you're immortal now, John, as he calls him, you know, and he comes out of the uh, out of the bath and that. But yeah, it was like, and the support Celtic had, you know, with yeah. Shankly, they took terrific support, you know what I mean? They took something like 16,000. I mean, to take, I mean, Portugal then was a really weird country run by a right-wing junta, shut off really from the rest of Europe. To take that amount of people in 1967, and you could see them driving by car and going in ferries and ships. Unbelievable, really. You know what I mean? And then when you watch the crowds in Glasgow when they come back and in Liverpool when they win the Cup and United, you everybody thinks it's a modern thing when you see massive crowds. But it was the same then. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and that's yeah. why the start of the film, I wanted to say about the, the importance of football in Scotland's history where record crowds were always broken in Glasgow. You know, it, it, it took off in a way there was unrivaled in the world. Probably the only place that's come close was South America in the early 50s, but nowhere took off. Nowhere did football take off like it did in Scotland and the way they played. That English historian says, English football was based on a village-to-village thing. We know everybody fights in the street and then throws a ball at the end. Yeah. Whereas in Scotland, they started the passing game. They started playing and that was where the game changed. And I, I wanted to tell a new generation, I wanted to tell 18-year-olds that who were like a bit dismissive about football and Scottish football. Well, actually, this is where it started. So all that English-started football is a load of shite, huh? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, Paddy Barkley does a great article about that, about the way we play football was born in modern Scotland, you know, where the crowds were the size of the grounds. The smallest ground in Glasgow, when, uh, the third biggest ground in Glasgow was Celtic Park at one point, and that held 85,000, you know. So it was about, like, the way football was embraced. So the point of the film was... There's a reason why the three men come from the same area and the same industry. It's because there was there was a furnace of, of, of what football was becoming in Scotland. People were obsessed by it. Alex James, right, who was the most famous footballer in Britain in the 20s, lived one street away from uh, Mac Busby. That's like Lionel Messi living in the street next to you. Do you know what I mean? Wow. So they were like, they were born with football all around them and they were obsessed with it. And like... Ferguson says Steen would just talk about football over and over and over. So I just think it's really interesting that they came from an area where everybody was absolutely obsessed with the game. Amazing. See, um, Shanklin Busby, what team did they support? Scottish team, do you know? Yeah, so Busby, you laugh at this, Busby was a Celtic fan. Right. Shankly, this made me roll off, was a Celtic and Rangers fan. Of course he was. He just used to like watch football. <laughs> didn't care. Just went to watch football and you go, well, of course Bill did because he's just, just obsessed with the game. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't know, that's just the they are. Steen obviously grew up as a, as a Rangers fan, which is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I love all those stories. And what happened with Busby was, Busby gets, um, he's playing for, um, what's the name of this? There's a team called something Ibernian, like a Scottish town. And he's... Uh, Dundee Hibernian. Dundee Hibernian. That's it. So, he's scouted by Manchester City. But he doesn't want to go because he's quite homesick. And what happens is Celtic tried to sign him just before he goes to Manchester. And the reason why they delayed was he played in a trial and a Rangers scout had watched him. And because the Celtic uh, scout had heard this and because of sectarianism, he said, well, I'm not going to go near him then, even though he didn't, he was a Catholic. So then when he found out that he was a Catholic and a Celtic, he tried to sign him and he was, he was 20 minutes too late. And Busby cried because he would oh, sign man. for Man City. Yeah, and he had to get a train down to... To Manchester, so he nearly signed for Celtic. Amazing, amazing um, stuff. Uh, see, on their management style, uh, Johnny, were they just were they just uh, man motivators, or, or were they tactically good as well? Yeah, everything. 
they were brilliant at everything. You know, they had to be really. Um, you know, there's, there's you do see that Steen in particular was absolutely obsessed with the tactical side of games. I mean, Steen was going to the World Cup in Switzerland in 1953 to watch matches. He was already thinking about it in a way. But Busby was brilliant tactically, and he knew the players to sign, as was Shankly. But I think of the three, if you absolutely sort of said to me who was thinking about the game in a really modern way. I probably would say Steen. The way Celtic played at that time was extraordinary. I mean, high pressing game, quick yeah. football, get it to the box. You know, they were playing modern football at that time. I think the three of them were incredible, not just tactically, but also Archie McPherson gave me a great line for the film. He says, Oh, I've met wonderful talkers of the game, wonderful philosophers, but they haven't been able to make players stand up when they walk into a dressing room. Steen, Shangley, and Busby could do that. When they walked into a dressing room, everybody stood up. That's fascinating, isn't it? Why is that gone then? Why is that gone? For, why is that gone from modern day football? Why don't we get these managers that have got that aura and presence? I don't know. But would, I might say Klopp would have it. Klopp, yeah. you know, really young footballer, Klopp, Mourinho, perhaps. I noticed in Spurs doc, they're all a bit like Mourinho's come in. So there's, there's certain ones that have got it, but they definitely had it. I don't know if you're born with it. They were all miners. They were all union men. If you worked underground, you have to be strong. You have to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to argue a point if you're in a union. They can all do that. Which is, mm. which is the tenets of good management. So they all have the characteristics to take that onto a football pitch. And you just respect them. That great story of um, Jimmy Johnston being substituted and he kicks the side of the dressing, of the, the dugout. So Steen chases him into the, uh, to, the, uh, <laughs> to, the, to the dressing room and he locks himself in the toilet. <laughs> all right, calm down, come out. I need to speak to you. And finally Johnston goes, I'm not coming out because he'll hit me. <laughs> Imagine that in a modern game, do you know what I mean? I'm not coming up, you'll hit me, Jock. So they had that where you wouldn't mess with them either. Like you said earlier on about Shankly, Steen, Busby. They all they, they could all be tough when they wanted to be. You know what I mean? They, they all had that ring of steel through them, which they had to have to survive their, their upbringing. And they were all clever guys as well, John, outside the football as well. You could imagine all three of them running like successful businesses as well, couldn't you? Yeah, that's it. I think, you know, the old idea of escaping from the old industries was through the arts or, or football or sport, you know, so you could either become like a boxer or a footballer or you could become like a, a film star. They had that, you know what I mean? So they were like, I think they'd have been successful in any part of life, but the avenues open to them then were only football, really. It's yeah. like uh, Busby's, Busby's teacher said, the boy is exceptionally bright. It's a shame he can't go on to become a school teacher, but he had to go underground because his family needed the money. I mean, Steen, uh, Archie McPherson says he had a photographic memory. It's pretty obvious he was a bright man that if he'd have gone into any other industry, you know, he'd have been fighting. And Shankly was, you know, you can see the energy of Shankly. Imagine Shankly going anywhere, in any world. Yeah. You, know, you know he's going to make an impression. So they were all very, very, very bright men. But unfortunately, in those days, the only avenue open to them was probably football. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've said how, how similar the three of them are. What would you say different between them? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I mean, like you said, we've talked a lot. Busby's like kind of almost like your uncle. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's like the, the, the father figure, put his arm around you. Shankly, I always think he's like a, a messiah. He kind of started a cult, really, in Liverpool. And Liverpool fans are still a bit like that. And they laugh and agree with this. Liverpool fans, you know, they don't, they don't ever lose a football match. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's their thing. You know what I mean? Uh, right. And so I think with, I think with Steen is, Steen was, um, I thought Steen fascinates me in a way because he was, because Scotland was so sectarian at the time and he was a Protestant. And he had to become the manager of Celtic, and he lost friends because of it. And his father would never wish him good luck. He couldn't couldn't bring himself to say good luck. His own father, because his father was a Rangers man, yeah. and that made him really, really want to be successful. And it's a great line where McPherson says he said to him, "Celtic Rangers was always his big game," you know, because he because he he'd, he'd, he'd gone to the other tribe, and there's nothing you know nothing like a convert, as they say in the, in the Bible. And so Steen kind of like. It became an obsession with him to become successful because of his background and where he came from. And I think that's an amazing story, really. See, if Steen had took the Man United job when he was going to, do you think Man United would have won more European trophies than what they did? Yeah, yeah, he'd have turned it round. But the thing was, and this is what McPherson says, and I say, he was such a homebird. He just hated it. He had to be in, in, in Scotland, in Lanarkshire. Whereas Busby, Busby broke that. by He was down, he was terribly homesick, but he managed to, to stay. And Shankly, Shankly came from a village which already was sort of closing down. There's nothing there in Glenbuck anymore. There's nothing left. There's just the, just the, almost the foundations of where they were from. So, so Shankly was always going to be more of a wanderer. But Steen was gripped by the, uh, the soil of Lanarkshire. He just couldn't leave. Uh, he was a miner till he was in his mid-twenties. He tried coming down to Flanesley to play in Wales. Didn't last very long. His wife was terribly homesick. So he was never going to leave Glasgow in this area, Steen. But I honestly think if he'd gone to Man United, he'd have turned that football club around. Not two ways about it. Mate, you could stick Busby anywhere and he would never be home. Like, he would just make it his own, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was... He right, was gonna, you could never see him. No, and, and the thing is, when he, when he goes to Liverpool as well, 
It's that great line where he says, you know, I knew I was amongst my people. I knew I was home. You know, I knew I had the crowd here. And the first thing he does is really clever. He, run, he gets running water into Anfield because they, 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 were, they, were, they were a mid-table going nowhere club, Liverpool, very much in the shadow of Everton. And then he starts talking about the cop, you know, I'm one of them and they're one of me. And if you listen to that as a football fan, you think, yeah. oh, I'll follow this fella. And once you've got that investment, you're away. Do you know what I mean? If you win a few football matches and they're telling you we love you, then he's sorted. And uh, like you said, Shankly, uh, he's, he's a right character, really, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, you still, so spoke about Jock Steen there. Obviously Celtic were the first team to win the European Cup, first British team. Yeah. Does that get the respect it deserves down south? Um, I think it, it, it does. certainly does for me. Uh, and I think the film will, I hope the film will help with that as well, because I, I still think it's, it's the greatest season of any football team in football history ever. And that's my honest opinion. And, I, and you can prove that with facts as well. They won every trophy available to them. It was an exceptionally good Rangers team in that league as well, who also got to a European final that year. There was really some other really good team. Aberdeen were very strong at that time. Dundee United, Dundee, you know, there was hearts were strong. So the domestic league was very strong. They won that. They won the cup. They won the league cup. And then they go to Europe and they beat Inter Milan, who had one of the great teams in the mid-1960s, and went 1-0 down early doors. So everybody went. The worst thing that happens is they go down 1-0 early, they can shut up shop, and that's it. And that's exactly what happened. So they, every hurdle that was put in their way, they got over it and did it. And I still think, you know, somebody said to me the other day, I still think there's only about three teams that have ever won every trophy available to them. One is in Egypt, one was somewhere else. Nobody in any way like Europe, and nobody won the most difficult trophy in the in the world to win domestically in the European Cup like they did. I just think, I just think even now, like that team and the way they played, and then of course it's the famous thing: they all come from within. You can there's the Argo twelve miles or thirty miles of, yeah. of Parkhead, Celtic Park. But I just think, I just think it's an amazing achievement, and you know the players they had. It's just before the money started to affect the game because by the early seventies, your Macaris and your Dudleys. We were able to go south and Liverpool and Manchester United were able to offer them more. In the mid-60s, you could still keep the best players in Scotland, in Scotland, if you know what I mean. There was enough, no, not enough of a disparity between the leagues. Once the league started to tip and the balance started to change, it was much more difficult for Steen to keep hold of his best players then. Uh, it's like you saying with Steen being before his time, like you watch that final, man, one full-back's up the pitch, crossing it, and the other full-back's getting on the end of it. I mean, Liverpool and that are lauded for that these days, but Celtic were doing that in 1967. And the, and the, and the, they played with like so they played a passing game and they and obviously they played with well, the more all the modern things are high press and all that which is basically chasing down other players but it was the pace the way they played and also people like Johnson were just encouraged to go forward to attack the other team mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so they were playing football you know that hadn't been seen really and there's that you know there's all that wonderful commentary where because Inter Milan have won it up, you know, we're in the ice age of European football, you know, and all that. And it's hard to explain. My dad used to tell me how desperate everybody was for Celtic to win that football match. Desperate. Because not well, everyone in Britain, sorry, everyone in Britain yeah, was desperate. Absolutely. In Wales, it was massive because of the way Inter Milan played and all that kind of stuff. So, and in those days, everybody supported, when I was a kid growing up, Everybody supported what they used to call the British teams, you know, in Europe. And that was the Irish teams as well. So, and Welsh teams. So it was just the way it was. I think it's changed now. I think it changed kind of with Chelsea about 15 years ago when teams were owned by rich men. But just certainly during the late 70s, early 80s, especially the time, remember Dundee United and Aberdeen winning the European yeah. Cup? I mean, I can remember as a kid, the, 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 the houses and the pubs being packed when they played in finals, as they would have been for English teams. You know, and Welsh teams getting the semi-finals. Like Cardiff got the 
European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final. So there's all those things that happened. It was just a kind of a universal thing, I think, that you wanted a, the, the team that you knew from the, the British leagues to do really well. See, their teams, obviously, we spoke about Wales doing so well in the Euros, having that kind of drinking culture. Would that have been similar in Busby's teams, Steen's teams and, and Shantley's teams? I, did, I think it was different from today. They all liked going out and having a pint and they all liked, you know, socialising. You know, they were all really fit men. Have you seen that, that stuff in there, the training shot of Celtic in the early 70s where they're all doing the sprints? I mean, they're yeah. all cut. You know, they're all like ribs and pecs. So they all looked fantastically fit. Um, but I don't think that, you know, the diet was slightly different than it is now. And, and you know, obviously they, they liked a pint. But I still think they were extraordinarily fit lads. They were playing football twice a week training all the time so there wouldn't have been that much difference John Robertson talking about him gave me a great line once he said to me do you know why football is the most popular sport in the world and I was a bit like go on and he went because you can't cheat at it and he went, I went what do you mean and he went well you know you can have bent refs and all that but you can't take a pill to make you run faster or something because you can't take a pill so you can shoot better or beat a man better it's still about the skill of the individual and I was like that's a really good point he said, well, you can't. He said, you know, so he said, you could be fitter and you could, you know, go around. But he said, ultimately, to be able to pass a ball a certain way or to be able to go around somebody is a skill. It can't be cheated, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it is. Uh, obviously, I was speaking about Steen. The current Celtic team are going to beat his record the nine in a row, trying to get 10. Can you emphasize with the pressure that they guys are under right now? Oh, it's, it's massive. And you can see it, can't you? Because Celtic are creaking a little bit for the first time. Yeah. Such a huge thing. I, I I get it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, obviously Rangers have, have come stronger. Gerard's starting to get his feet under the table, doing a good job. I'm one of them as well because I'm outside and I can watch it. I think a good, a strong Celtic and a strong Rangers is really important for Scottish football. Do you know what I mean? I, I I always think it's such. It's still the greatest derby in the world. And if it's if it's a fierce rivalry, I enjoy that more than you know sort of somebody else being outside the leagues or whatever. That's just my opinion, obviously. But you know, I think this season, I think it's a long way to go. If um, if the pressure would flip the other way, the thing is, what could happen is football, and as you know, you play pressure is such a huge thing. If Rangers get a bit of a, a head of steam up and get a few points, fine. But say after Christmas they lose a game or two and Celtic win a game, it'll flip them, and then the pressure will be on Rangers to stop the ten in a row. So it's a long way to go yet. At the moment, it's uh, it's it has made it very interesting this season. See the media attention now that managers get. Like, did Steen did did Steen have to deal with that sort of? Like scrutiny on them every single day. Yeah, there's a bit in the film where they talk about that, about the pressure football managers are under. I mean, it cracked the three of them in a way. You know, obviously Busby had the, the crash and all the rest of it, which was horrendous. But by the time he won the European Cup again, he, he finished. I mean, Steen, bless him, died, you know, on the side of a football pitch. I was there that night in, uh, in Ninian Park. And, and, Buzz, and, and Shankly sort of, he retired and then regretted it, you know. But, you know, he, there's a moment where the three of them say, the pressure on this... It's so huge all the time, every game. And then there's a line in the film by Johnny Giles, the ex-Leeds and Irish player. He said, football's a unique industry. And he's talking about Jock Steen. He said, after nine years of winning the title, he's under more pressure in the 10th year than he is in his first year because he's got to repeat the success. And it's so yeah. true. It's like, once you're successful, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep doing it. And that's why, you know, players, people like Steen and, and, and Alex Ferguson's another one, are remarkable. To win, like, 13 Premier League titles is amazing. Because once you've won one, you think, well, I've done it. But then everybody's going, no, you've got to do it again now. And then you win it again, yeah, and then you've got to do it again. And then you've got to do it again. And I think that's an unbelievable pressure. Uh, and they all had that. Mm. So you were there that night in Impact with Jock Steen? Yeah, yeah it was. It was. I went down to watch Wales, Scotland. I went with my father and my grandfather. And I remember leaving and um, 
it was transistor radios in those days and word spreads quite quickly anyway. And my, my father was walking on the back of the stand and my, we overheard somebody saying Steen's ill. And Steen had played, you see, internationally and obviously he'd been a minor. So he had a great affiliation with the Welsh fans. And my father saying, is that right with Steen? And then the guy going, he's passed away apparently. And then there was massive silence in the crowd and the Scots were coming around the other stand with the yellow flags. And I can remember vividly now the yellow flags stopped they've stopped waving as word was obviously spreading. Silence, just everybody walking, 40,000 people walking. And I get in the car, we put the radio on and the radio was just full of that story. And uh, yeah, it had a real, I think there was a real feeling that night that somebody important who had a real uh, relationship and affinity with the, with, the, with the support had passed away. And there wasn't one single arrest apparently after the game. Everybody just kind of like heads down and, and went home really. Wow. All three of all three had that with the community. So as you say, Shankly straight away wanted to make a connection with the Liverpool fans. Were you similar in making the documentary? Did you want to keep community a big theme in it? Yeah, so I can kind of keep mentioning it really from the start, right the way through it. Busby was another one. Busby used to point to the to the, the factories of Trafford Park, as they call it, the big industrial parks, and those are the people today, and you've got to entertain them. That was his big line to the team. It's really mm. important. You entertain them. Steen, that great story, even walking in the window of the dressing room, listening to the, the shoes, the people coming in. Don't forget them today. And Shankly, obviously, talking about, like, I'm one of the people on the cop and they and me. They all had that. They all kept saying to them, it's really important you remember the fans. And it's interesting in there that, you know, the film, when I made the film, two years ago it started, and now what's happened with people not being allowed in because of COVID and all the rest of it, everybody is, everybody's using Steen's statement. Yes right across football and you see people in Poland holding the banner up with the line football's nothing without fans and they've used it you know that saying has probably become one of the most famous sayings in football now you know and when Steen said he was bang on really wasn't do you think there was that connection as well because they weren't paid that much more than what fans were like. Do you think that connection's gone there between a manager and a set of fans because they all have a totally different world to what fans do well, some have got it. I spoke with this. Klopp, Klopp knew straight away, didn't he? And, and he felt like the right relationship, didn't he, for a, for a, for a, a manager with a club, you know, because of the way he'd been with Dortmund and all that kind of stuff. I think Mourinho had it a bit with Chelsea when he first went there. Um, so, you know, people do definitely have it. Um, was it that that made Scottish managers so successful, that they had that connection with fans? Like, Yankee Man United, the, the only managers to win a European Cup with them have been Scottish. Well, why is that? That's because everything's for a reason, really. They, they, they would have connected with the fans. They would have known the game inside out. They, they, they both played. This is Busby and Ferguson. They understood the city. They understood the people. They understood players. There's a lot of different things all coming together to make them brilliant in what they did. And they just knew the game inside out, back to front. You know, they knew it tactically, man management, years of experience. You know, you don't get to win a European Cup just by, by luck or chance. It's impossible. You get it by being the best that you can possibly be. And I think, you know, there was all these things that happened that produced these great managers in Scotland, like socialist areas, industry, you know, the football at the time. But ultimately, you've got to work hard and you've got to be intelligent. And those three men, and Phil with Ferguson, had them all in abundance. Mm. But the basics of the game have no change. And for me, like you've mentioned... All the four Klopp has got that, and that's why he's the best just now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, a mate of mine's father, he's Scottish lad, actually, Dizzy from, from Glasgow, he said, the game's still the same, you've just got to put a piece of leather in between two sticks. And how you do that, you can do it in any way you possibly want. You know, and people will use you know, different terms, you know, the low block, and I'm like, what was low block when he first got it? Defending deep, I'm like, oh, it's defending deep. And then the high press, what's that, closing down or closing down? So they've all been said and done a million times. Do you know what I mean? Like we were talking earlier on about the way Celtic played in 1967, you know, you'd, now you'd say that's 
hugely progressive, you know, in, in the way they played football. So much, the game doesn't change. You've got to motivate your players. You've got to be tactically aware. You've got to be fit. And you've got to know how to sort of score goals and defend, you know, and that's, that's the, the basics of the game. Clough was brilliant. Clough was obsessed, uh, Rob said by the end, of making the game as simple as possible. He was obsessed by it. He said he just used to, he just used to say one or two things to you. He was, he was absolutely of the opinion that the worst thing you can do is to cloud a player with too much information, too much things. He was all about creating really good habits. So he said, you know, he ever tell you one or, two, one or two things. And I was like, really? Clef? And he was going, yeah. And he was, I was like, what was he like half time? And he went, really quiet. I tell you one thing at the most. So he said, I met managers and, and my coaches were all chippier. And he used to think, well, you, you know, you clouded. But he said, Clef was like, oh, I'll just do this, John. Make sure if you do, when you get the ball, Number two will sort of come to you a little bit slow, so pass it as soon as you can. And that was it. Give you one bit of information, do you know what I mean? And I think these managers had that as well. They were like, they were men that were able to distill the complexities of football into simple instruction. I think mean, that's spawned because I watch managers and coaches now and they just want to talk, 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 information, information. And that's why I think we didn't produce the sort of players of John Robertson, Jimmy Johnson, because they're getting told far too much information instead of just letting them play the way they want to play football. Like you say, one or two wee bits of information here or there. Yeah, well, I mean, mate, it fucking drives me crackers. When they pull out a little, like, uh, like almost like a little plastic clipboard with things on the side of the pitch, and I'm like, they've got a player going on, and they go in, I'm like, what are you telling him that for? You know, he knows what he's going to do. It's a great story, Graham Souness. He gets signed by Liverpool from Middlesbrough. I think the record signing for Liverpool is like £350,000. First game, he's in the changing room, and he says to Joe Fagan, who's next to Bob Pearce, he goes, right, what do you want me to do? And Fagan turns to Paisley and goes, fucking hell, we bought him for 350 grand and he's asking us, what, what should he do? I mean, right now, it's like, just go out and play football, son. And it's bang on, isn't it? Don't worry about it. Just yeah. go out, play your game, and you'll be fine, you know. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot of that where if you can get it right, you can calm it all down and just give your instructions simply to somebody who knows how to play the game, you've got a great chance. And apparently, sort of clops very much like that, you know. I mean, you've only got to watch the Mourinho stuff with Spurs. It's really interesting. He just goes, you just need to get a bit nastier. You just need to be bastards a bit more. That's all he keeps telling them. That's all you know, mate, it's, it's simple stuff, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's all he keeps saying. You're a good team, you want to play. You just need to be, you just need a bit more of a killer instinct. And he keeps saying yeah. it over and over and over. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, just on the European Cup, Bill Shankly was the only one out of the three that never won it. Was that a big regret of his? Yeah, massive. And he felt he was cheated out of it in 65, wasn't it? Where he, um, into Milan famously, wasn't it? Mm. And uh, he always talks about that. And when, when he retires, that's Tony Wilson asking him the questions, the guy who was founded Factory Records and all that. He says to me, you never won the European Cup, Bill. And he goes, oh, I never did anything in unfair ways, though. He felt he was cheated out of, uh, yeah. of the European Cup. And it must have been a regret of his in the next five years for Liverpool to win two European Cups because mm. the basis of the team was still his. And Emily News says that. When they win in Rome, he, he turns, doesn't he, to, uh, to Keegan and goes, I can't believe Bill's not, you know, not here to sort of to, to oversee this. So I think that's why, he, you know, it's very poignant when uh, Joe Fagan says, I think he died of a broken heart. You feel that just when Liverpool will really become in the best team in Europe by 75, he retires and you think, oh, Bill, you know, you just missed it. Yeah, wow. So what would you uh, say was his biggest achievement at Liverpool? Because again, I never knew that he took them in the, in the second division. Yeah, well, he took them up really quickly. And then, um, and then they win the title by 64. So he's there in 59. So within five years, he's taken them up and he's won a title, which is unbelievably quick to do it. Um, and then he established them as one of the best teams in, in Europe then, really. So it, what he did, I think, Bill, was he created the dynasty. You know, he created this idea that you go to Anfield, it's his house, you're going to have a really hard time. You're, and, and teams 
still have to do that. If you go to Anfield, it's very rare anybody gets a, a point there, let alone, you know, wins. And I think that all comes down to Bill Shankly and his attitude. Like, this is his house, this is his, you know, place, and you can't go there and expect an easy time of it. That comes from his personality, I think, you know? Steen's really interesting in the sense that Steen... I get what... Steen is really interesting in the sense... Sorry, man. Go on. He, he, he's instantly successful wherever he goes. I mean, I've never known anything like it. He literally goes to Celtic to do the reserves. They fly in. Then he's told he'll never have the, have the top job because of because he's a Protestant. So he says, all right. So he goes to Dunfermline. He wins the cup with Dunfermline. Mm-hmm. They're beating like Valencia and Everton in Europe. Ridiculous. So Hibbs get him. Within six months, he's taken Hibbs to, to the top of the league. They win the Summer Cup. And at that point, Celtic go, right, we've got to get this fella in. Goes to Celtic, wins the Scottish Cup, and then he's away. So Steen, if we, I'm like, if I had a if I had a time machine, right, and I won, you know, a billion pound on the Euro billions, right, or Euro millions, and you said to me, I can buy Merthyr and I can get one manager in, I would get the 1967 Jock Steen. I think the 1967 Jock Steen was probably the greatest football manager that ever lived, in my opinion. Wow. So you are keeping your pick of the three then, Jock Steen, yeah? I just think Jock, ed- I just think Jock-, Jock edges it for what he did in 67. I think it's, I think it's extraordinary what he did in yeah. Just the last wee bit on uh, Busby as well, because I like yeah. this part of the documentary, because uh, young coaches now and young managers, they've all got this philosophy, I'm going to play this way no matter what. Shankly went into Liverpool, he never had the players to do that, so he made them horrible, didn't he? Until yeah. he could get the level and get the players in that he wanted to then go and play nice football. Yeah, yeah, Shankly was Shankly was a tough man, you know, and, and Liverpool became physical and hard to beat, you know, and still are, I mean, in the sense of like, you don't get anything on Anfield. You know, whether it be the referee or playing against them, it's a tough, tough place to go. Busby was all about the beautiful game. And, and it's really interesting to me that he wanted to play attacking wingers, you know, and, and, and great players. That's why you've got the club was always going to have best and Cantona and those kind of players. It all comes to Matt Busby. You know, he wanted to play in a very beautiful way in Man United. And, uh, you know, they still sing in Manchester United and Old Trafford, playing football the Busby way. They still sing that there, not the Ferguson way, the Busby way, because that's the template for them. Yes. And when when Mourinho went to Manchester United, my mank mates are really interesting, because they were accused of being a bit negative, do you remember? And Liverpool fans sang to them, park the bus, park the bus, Man United did, because they were defending. And my mates hated it. They were manks. It made them swoon, because that's not Man United. They were like, we're Man United. We're meant to play attacking, progressive football. And that's all because of Matt Busby. Again, mate, there's so many connections to modern-day football. Uh, yeah. Busby leaves Man United in the struggle for years, and now we're seeing it again when Ferguson leaves. Man United are on the same sort of struggle that they were back then. It's huge, isn't it? It just goes to show how important football managers are. I still say this, and that's what the point of the film was. The most important person in a football club is always the manager. It's always the manager. Because they set, they set the tone for everything, really. You know, they, they pick, you know, ultimately they pick the players, they coach them, but also like the philosophy of a club and what the club is and what it's, what it's about. And if you get somebody like um, a Ferguson, who's a once-in-a-generation manager, as we knew, it's really difficult to find somebody else like him. Because, you know, the club... I mean, Liverpool were interesting because Shankly gets replaced by Paisley and then Paisley gets replaced and it's a slow progression down until they get clocked and pick them back up again. And Celtic, you know, Celtic are never going to have a manager as good as Celtic in the game. But O'Neill was close. People would say come to European final and all the rest of it, you know, and, and had that affinity with the fans. Do you know what I mean? It's, but it's so difficult yes. to find a manager 
who's, who's anything like, you know, the great, great managers. And, and it's a problem for football clubs. And Manchester United, as you say now, have got a problem. How do you, how do you find a person to replace Alex Ferguson? It's, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Take the ball. Say it again. Eventually. You think they'll, think, Jeff, you think they'll get back on top, man? Yeah, only because it might take even five, ten years. But like Liverpool, they're so big because of the men. It's, it's almost cyclical. They'll get back up again. It's a bit like Rangers doing now, you know what I mean? And then Celtic will do the same. Yeah. If you're a massive football club with your roots in those kind of things, in the end, somebody will come and they will be somebody that will save it. Because, because the foundations are there. The support's there. The, 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 the stadium's there. People will always want to go and play for Manchester United, Liverpool and Celtic because of what they've achieved. You'll always be able to get players to go and play there. So, you know, there's always the potential for these clubs to get back to what they are. They just need to get the person in that can realise that potential. And a great example is Klopp. Klopp goes to Liverpool. Everybody kind of goes, that's a, that's a good fit. Takes him two or three years. They're patient with him. And he's finally got them firing. So it will happen. It's just finding that person. It should have been Guardiola. We all know that. But because of the money of Man City, yeah. they've got Man United's manager. Every, the way they play and the way he thinks the game and the way he wants to play. You all, we all feel in our hearts, it should, he should be at Man United and they should be competing against Liverpool with Klopp. But money, unfortunately, has taken him to Man City. Well, not unfortunately, because Man City fans love him. But money's taken him to the other half of Manchester, ironically. But you do feel somebody like um, Pep Guardiola would have been a great Manchester United manager against Klopp and with those two clubs behind him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, it's a feel-good documentary, mate. I, I really enjoyed it. As I said, the one obviously harrowing bit is the Munich Air disaster. Like how harrowing was? See, when you look at it, how 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 horrible was that 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 time in that situation? Yeah, it was it was a dreadful thing. It made me admire Busby even more. The fact that like he he came back and 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 he won a European Cup ten years later. It's an amazing story when you think of it. When I tell you know. But what I what I found more about doing the film was how loved the babes were by everybody. These these are the days before you know football became much more partisan. But how much they were the they were the country's team, the babes. You know they were young men. They were just coming out of the war. You know they were like um, rationing and ended. They had quiffs. They looked young. They had the big V. So they were like everybody felt like you know rock and roll was starting. A great affinity with them. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's what I realised. It was snatched away from the country, really. It wasn't snatched just the United. United. It was the whole country had this young football team they all loved with travelling Europe and beating the best in Europe was suddenly all killed in a plane crash. It must have been horrendous to, to experience. And I can't even imagine what Busby must have gone through considering, you know, they were his boys that he brought through from young players. And, you know, like, like they were saying in the film, he couldn't even face football again. Couldn't even think about that. But he went back because his wife, Another Scots girl, she said to him, You owe it to the players who survived and the boys were still coming through to get back to football. And it shows the um the size of the man and the moral courage of Busby that he was able to go back and do that. He's an amazing man, really. And then he gets Bobby Charlton and then George Best. The bit that made me laugh the film is when Jack Charlton and Bobby Charlton are getting filmed and they're playing football with jumpers and shirts on. I think they're outside their house. Yeah, up in Ashington, which is a mining community. Amazing, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah. They, they sign these. They sign like the best young player in the country because of the scouting system yeah. he had. They sign Bobby Charlton, and um, and obviously Jack goes to Leeds. Um, it's, it's a great shot of them playing, and they play with little kids in the in, in the field. Kids like, in the street. Like, yeah. Ah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I want to ask about one more player, mate. Uh, George Best. Yeah. Like, would he have been Busby's favourite ever player? I think he was really. I mean, Duncan Edwards was his player, but he died, bless him. He loved Duncan Edwards, didn't he? 
Um, but best, yeah, and, and mm. see, this is what happened. People say that he'd, he'd become softer, really, um, after the uh, air disaster, in the sense of like he um, he found it difficult to sort of like to reprimand players and all that because he'd seen boys die. So a lot of people say he was very soft on George. Obviously, George was a great player; he loved him. He was, but you know, like in the party, maybe ten years, fifteen years before, he'd have said the best about his going out and his drinking. He'd have been on him. He kind of forgive him a, le- a lot. He apparently used to say this thing before. It's only George. He'd be fine Saturday. So he became quite soft, and he loved best in a, in a special way, I think, and and indulged him really. You know what I mean? Allowed him to do what he wanted to do. And best was never the same after Busby retired. He was never really that bothered about playing football in the same way he was under Busby. He was always Busby's boy, and and you know, and that was it really. And uh, what they achieved together in four years was remarkable. From '64 to to 68, uh, but Best was a young man. Even then, he was only 24, 25, I think, going to the European Cup. So he felt as if he had a long career. Well, the following year, Busby retired, and then he was only fitting back in and out. He was never the same player, but I think I think Busby had a real soft spot for Best. Uh, that's what I love about it as well, make a connection with their players as well. I don't think managers have that personal connection with players anymore. No, it's like... Um, it's like if I could think of the three players that personify them to me, if I picked the three. I, with Liverpool, Shankly loved Keegan because Keegan became the best player he could possibly be. You know what I mean? He trained hard and he worked hard. And, and, and there's a great bit where he goes, I don't give the gospel to Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan knows the gospel. And I was a bit like, um, I, so you could see Shankly loved Keegan in a very special way because he reminded him of him that he worked really hard and he, and he trained mm-hmm. hard. Busby, as we said, loved best. You know, just loved Georgie Best because he was flair and he could play and, and all that. And Steen absolutely adored Jimmy Johnson. You know, he just did. There's a great story of when um, they played Duke of Prague, didn't they, in the, uh, the semi-final. And he says to him, well, you know, because he does the eights flying, Johnny, Jimmy Johnson. So he said, well, I won't take him to the return leg yeah. in the first leg because he has a stormer. And he says, oh, I still got to take you, Jimmy, because, because he's my stormer. Just insurance. <laughs> but he's like, he loved him, you know, and he brought the best out of him, you know, and he... he he kind of um, forgive Jimmy sometimes where Jimmy liked the pint and all the rest. We all know the stories. But he, he was like, as long as he turns up and he trains and works hard, I don't care. And there's a great story that he's, that he's here, Jimmy's been out all day drinking and he doesn't say nothing. So he works Jimmy really hard in his training session. And of course, Jimmy is the best trainer in the session. Literally, nobody can, nobody can you know, live with him. And, um, and that's, I love those relationships because that's how you win trophies, by man management like that. There's some players that you have to look after in a certain way because they're going to give you special things. And the three of them knew it and treated those players accordingly. And Clough's the same with Robertson, isn't it? It's another example. Loved him. He said he was his favourite yeah. player. He said this great line once. He said, I've managed a lot of great players. I was very lucky. But uh, it was a little fat guy from Scotland who won me two European Cup. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, last question, mate. Would you confidently say that these three... The clubs wouldn't be anywhere that are today without A3. Yeah, I do. I honestly think that they kind of made the three clubs in the modern sense. What they did was they made them international football clubs. Now, Celtic were always a different proposition because they were, you know, they had the religious side of it and, you know, the, the, the Irish side. But ultimately, I think Manchester United and Liverpool and Celtic are worldwide renowned football clubs with fan groups and people all over the planet because of the three men. That's my honest opinion. Would day three ever hang a bit together? Would they ever go for drinks or, or a meal together while they were managing their three big clubs? Yeah, they, they socialised quite a lot. They um, they always, they, and the Shankly's granddaughter told me they were always on the phone to each other. 
they were always like, you know, sort of in uh, Shankly would turn up at uh, Busby's office. Shankly was always having to be calmed down by Busby. He was almost like his older brother going, come on now, Bill, because he'd be angry because the board had rejected a player. And the same with Steen, you know, I mean, like Busby was desperate to get Steen there after him. He seen him as the guy to sort of carry on at United, the work he'd been doing. And uh, and it's really interesting to me that the uh, the three of them were close friends, but fierce rivals. I mean, they desperately wanted to beat each other. That game where Celtic lose to Liverpool and um, in the European Cup, in his cup, I think it is, St. John said, Ian St. John said to me, Celtic fans still have a goal me about a goal. It was a, it was a disputed goal, you know, to this day. And, you know, but Steen and Shankly, there's a photograph of them talking after them to stand and they're still great mates. But, you know, during the game, they would have been like, they've been desperate to beat each other. Desperate. Johnny, amazing. I enjoyed the chat. I enjoyed the documentary. It's amazing. Everyone get out and see it. Download it. It's a, it's a tremendous documentary. I loved it, mate. Thank you very much. And God bless Scotland. Big love to you all. <laughs> Top, man. Cheers, mate. Top, boys. Thanks, lads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.